This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday evening edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by Coach David Thorpe of True Hoop. Coach Thorpe, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing fine, thank you. It's great to talk basketball with you, man. Um, I watch uh, the Monday shows um, with Tom now. I love that Tom Haberstroh uh, and you and Henry are doing the the YouTube videos on uh, the NBA, the the Bucks stuff, and their defense was really fascinating. Um, I I really enjoy that, so I'm glad y'all are still doing that because that was like one of my favorite things about uh, the old ESPN True Hoop was the watching you and Henry with uh, your your blurb videos. I don't know how else to yeah. characterize them, but those were some of my favorites. I remember watching those, not to date you, Coach Thorpe, but I remember watching those <laughs> my uh, junior year of college while I was supposed to be paying attention in class. <laughs> yes. Yes, I've been doing this stuff for a long time now. Thank you, Thank you for reminding me, but <laughs> it's quite all right. It's been a pleasure uh, doing what I do. Um, well, don't forget, folks, you can listen to this podcast on any of your preferred platforms if you're an apple podcast person though please make sure and leave the show a five-star rating or review and go check out chase and go check out truehoop.com where you can access all of coach thorpe's writing and videos and all that good stuff with henry abbott it's a great uh subscription so go do that today if you have not already um coach thorpe what have you found yourself reading as of late are you reading watching anything in speci- specific it could be basketball it could be uh non-sports related uh, what have you been occupying your time with as of late so a friend of mine named louisa thomas who's this brilliant writer from the new yorker sent me a book i'd never heard of called the mvp machine mm-hmm. and i'm embarrassed that i never heard of it before it's one of the most important books i've ever read uh it's uh, written by um, Ben Lindbergh and Travis Sawchick, mm. and it's really a, it's the story of the way baseball has adopted player development far beyond anything basketball, well, NBA or NFL has done that I'm aware of, uh, and it, it tells just many stories of how that sport has learned how to listen to people not necessarily employed by a team that is super focused on developing pitchers and hitting and whatever. And I think she felt like when she read it, she actually covered sports for the New Yorker. And when she read it, she said, David, I heard your voice all the time because you always are talking development and the NBA is so far behind. And sure enough, uh, they are. I'm, I'm, I, we're not. What I do uh, in player development, I wouldn't say it compares to what these people in the MVP machine, I and I strongly recommend anyone, even if you don't love baseball, skim through some of the jargon. But the, 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 I'm a big believer in development as people, mm-hmm. human development. I, I've, I've given uh, speeches to you know, CEO conventions uh, about this exact thing, about developing talent. And uh, so it's right up my alley, and it's perfect for me because we're, we're in the process of launching a player development app at the protrainingcenter.com where – um, people can players and or people just want to get in shape can hear my voice and watch my players in our drills. I build a curriculum out and then I, you hear me kind of walking the players through the drill. Uh, you put your headphones on and you train just like you're in my gym. And then you can actually connect with me. A big part of player development is that interaction. You can't just learn well, you're a grad student. You can't just mm-hmm. learn from a professor. There's, interaction is so much more yep. important, especially if you're lo- learning a physical skill. So um, that's what I've been reading. I'm reading it a second time now, be- again, because I'm launching this app, and I just want to be as smart as it can be in terms of developing you know, players around the world, not just pros that come to my gym. And then my wife and I, uh, because our kids are away in college, so it's just us now, we we try to watch about five episodes a week of The West Wing, which we never saw mm. 
because we were raising kids. Our twins were born in 2001. She was pregnant in 2000. I, I did never watch a single second of an episode during the entire, whatever, seven, eight-year run. Yeah. And so we're, you know, catching up now. We're on season two. So it's going to take a while for us to get through all all the years because they did so many things. But, yeah, so that's because I'm, otherwise I'm watching G League and Euro Cup and Euro League and NBA basketball. And my son is a basketball player at Florida State. So now I'm watching ACC games, too. So, yeah, there's not a lot of time to watch anything but basketball. So I try to do an hour a day if I can with her. And you're a Florida guy, right? How did it How did it end up where your son went to Florida State? So, yeah, I went to Florida, and my son had opportunities to go to go play at different places, not on a team that might win a national championship. And mm-hmm. so he broke his ankle his junior year, had eight screws put in his ankle, and it really kind of limited his development while he was still growing. He's, almost, he's about 6'3 now. I'm six feet tall, so he really outgrew me. Mm. And, um, and so he just made a decision. He said, I want to run an NBA team one day, and if I have a choice of you know, playing 32, one, one coach offered him 32 minutes of playing time if he had gone to their school. Florida State offered nothing like that, but he wanted to be part of a culture to see what it's like to compete at the highest levels, figuring he would learn something about what to do if he's running an NBA team. And he also wanted to, you know, he, he's been with NBA players He's been rebounding for me since he was five. So, you know, meeting NBA players is not a big deal to him that way. But um, to see at them as teammates, and Florida State every year is going to have NBA prospects, if not, you know, bona fide lottery picks. Mm-hmm. To see them, live with them, eat with them, hang with them, he thought it would bring value. So he told, he didn't even tell me, he told my brother, because um, he could have, I'm sure he could have had the similar situation at Florida. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to the head coach a little bit about it too. And um, he got in both schools and he just said, I, I, we visited Florida State actually a month ago, this last a couple of days, a year ago, this last couple of days, we saw them beat Boston College for the ACC championship. We watched them celebrate. We met with the team. At, we, you know, we were with the team. Uh, he met with the coaches afterwards and they offered him a preferred walk on spot. And uh, provided he really wanted to commit and didn't want to just use it for a year and then go transfer somewhere else. And he's like, this is where I want to be. This is exactly where I want to spend my next five years. It's a 40-year decision, and I'm making that, not a four-year decision, which I give a lot of credit for. I didn't tell him to do any of it. So he's the happiest person I've ever met at 19 years of age in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so with him there, my, my, my daughter studies hospitality at UCF, which is one of the best schools in the world for that. Uh, my wife and I are, are empty nesters, and we're doing just great. 31 years together, as, as a married couple, anyway. That's awesome. And they ended up staying yeah. close to home because uh, they could have gone yeah, all over the place. So that was good. That's right. Yeah, it's great. In fact, my daughter, as we speak, is visiting him. He's leaving tomorrow for the ACC tournament, and mm. uh, she's already had COVID, but they're super careful. Uh, they, um, she's just going to see him, I think, for an outdoor dinner, and then mm. he leaves tomorrow. And she wanted to say goodbye, which is great. They're twins. They're, they're yeah. best friends. But she's only seen him once since. In fact, we, we saw him Christmas Eve as a family and stayed away from him, stayed outdoors. Like, it's such a crazy time to be parents of college kids during a pandemic when they were living here the first few months of it. And now, you know, we got to be careful. So it's not quite the same. But hopefully soon enough, we'll all be vaccinated and we can give our kids big hugs and everything. Hopefully, hopefully. I saw that grandparents <laughs> can give... Uh grandson's hugs and grand uh daughter's hugs soon so if they're vaccinated yes my my parents and my mother-in-law hugged my daughter but nice they've not seen my son since uh august and they've uh, not hugged him since february of last year did you know leonard hamilton at all before your son committed i did i mean i, I mean i've been doing this for a long time so i've coached i've coached players from pretty much every basketball pro- program in the country i think maybe kansas is the only one i have in of the bigger ones hmm and um, so, yeah, I, I've gotten to know Coach Hamilton and his staff. I know two of his assistants very well. Uh, it is a privilege for someone like me to have my son get a chance to learn under Coach Hamilton's guidance and his staff. Um, they are, I think they have the best culture in college basketball. I, I can't say that I'm an expert in all of it, and I have lots of college coaching friends around the country. But what they have going on there, it, in, in my opinion, is second to none. Most importantly, my son feels that way. He just feels like he's got nothing but brothers. And they all, I mean, he's one of the, he's a 6'3". He's probably the second or third shortest guy on the team. They're huge. <laughs> and they're going to be even bigger next year. But um, 
they all just get along so well. My daughter's met a lot of his teammates, and she just said they're just nice young men. We treat her treat her respectfully. Um, we met them all last year, and they you know they shook my wife's hand and my hand, and and just we witnessed joy on the practice court. I'm a big believer in joy in the game. It's it's hard enough to be good at this game. If it's a grind all the time, it's even harder. So I I like I'm attracted to programs and coaches that create joyous places to train and work. We try to have fun in my gym when I'm doing my player development stuff. It can't all be can't be puppet dogs and ice cream all the time, but it certainly isn't a military thing either. It's got to be a nice balance. And he's his first aid team has found a uh, you know a combination that works. And I'm lucky as hell to have my son be a part of it for the next the next four and a half years now. That's awesome. Um, last thing that you mentioned before we get into the the things that I had uh, on my on my docket, uh, Coach. But you mentioned at the top when you read MVP Machine that um, or that that you read it, and then your New Yorker friend read it that she could hear your voice in it, and that you dis- you think that Major League Baseball is a step ahead in development. What what about the current development system for professional basketball? Are you would you cite as a hindrance to where basketball could be in terms of just what baseball is doing. So it's not a step ahead. They are miles, miles mm. and miles and miles and miles. ahead. Um, yeah. Uh, baseball led the way with analytics and basketball followed and uh, I, I, player development. Listen, I'm happy. I built a nice little business mm. doing my own player development because teams are doing such a poor job almost universally. There's obviously there's exceptions. The Raptors done a nice job. I think you could argue they're, they've done probably the best job mm-hmm. uh, when you look at all the young players. I'm happy to say that Masai got a start at our program mm-hmm. here in Florida, so I'm a little bit biased, but the proof is in the pudding. I think it really helps them appreciate you know what you can do with a player when um, when you do what we do. Baseball has has managed to use technology, but also innovation to, uh, for example, uh, add more dip or break into a pitcher's curveball uh, to add more velocity to their fastball, uh, change the, their swing plane, and, and then all there's lots of things involved in that. So basketball, we've got places like P3 in, in uh, um, Santa Barbara and then Atlanta that's doing athletic development. That's really good. There are some teams that probably do a decent job with athletic development, and obviously our sports is an athletic-based game. Uh, I don't feel, though, there's many coaches that really know how to teach shooting. Uh, I don't think – I think I think in general basketball's biggest problem is not the NBA's fault. It's, it's I would almost say – to say this arrogantly, but I'm a little bit to blame. People think I'm the first one to do player development as a business, and I started back in 93 doing it. And so I, they called me the godfather of player development. And it's a curse because I did a terrible job because what I failed to do – as I didn't think about doing, I didn't think about making a ripple. I just tried to pay the bills, and I didn't want to coach in college and potentially risk losing my wife and my friends who were in coaching college. I could see them struggling with their marriages, and they were young, like I was. I was in my twenties when I started this, and um, I didn't want that. So I was just trying to pay the bills. But what I always focused on was helping my players win basketball games, not add style to their game, not just put up numbers that are empty because to score 25 points, they took 24 shots or 27 shots. The idea was to win because that was my background as a coach. It's, I tried to win. And I was player developing my own guys and helping them get to colleges at big, big, you know, big D1 schools that ended up making the Final Four and, and then you know, very good D2 schools that also made the Final Four. I didn't care what level they went to. I wanted these guys to play for free somewhere. And, uh, you know, go to college for free. So that's what I meant. So I think that the average player development guy has it messed up. And they are trying to, they're they're teaching our kids to shoot like Jason Tatum and Steph Curry. And I'm all for those guys doing what they do. But uh, it it comes at a cost when you're doing at the high school level and they're not keeping track of these metrics. And the players put up a bunch of style points and they lose. Like the idea is not to lose. You're supposed to win. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like until we get back to finding, I promise you, in Major League Baseball, they don't care if you can add an extra eight inches to the way your ball breaks if players are still knocking it out of the park. The idea is to strike the other dude out. Yeah. 
And uh, or or conversely, if they get hits, they don't care how pretty your swing is if you keep missing the ball. So uh, when we when we have players taking some of the shots they take, uh, and they make three of ten, but the three they make look amazing and are great for highlight reels, that's not helping their team win. That's not how we train our pros. We're, we're focused. I just I just saw just now right before you called me, uh, one of our players finished top five. In, in warp, you know, wins above replacement player in the G League bubble that just basically completed today. And that's, that's our job. Our job is to help them play at that level. It's production and efficiency, not just production for production's sake. So this is where I think globally and certainly in America, our individual player development coaches, uh, are losing that, that idea of, no, we have to help our clients win games. At the NBA level, I just don't think they have any innovation going on with their player development. They, as one coach said to me, the head coach, as he once said to me about a player that he was coaching of mine, he said, I don't even have to coach him, I just play him. And it really upset me because I knew that to be true. My player was scoring 20-plus points a game. I, I, I knew you were playing him a bunch, but I was coaching him all the time. Well, why aren't you coaching him? You're his head coach. I don't travel with the team. I stay as – I don't – I may go, maybe go see my players once a year, maybe twice a year. I don't, I don't see them much. I talk to them all the time. But that's the mentality of too many of these guys. They just play their guys. There's not a lot of coaching going on. There, obviously, there's exceptions, and I think those exceptions are the best coaches out there. And so we're a long, honestly, we're in inning one of where I think ultimately we'll get, which is having a lot of people. I won't be doing it. I'm aging out of this and, and really don't have an interest in working for a team. Uh, but there'll be a bunch of guys who, who have learned how to impact players individually and help them play smarter, more efficient, productive basketball that help your team win games. That's really what we need to do. We're not doing a great job of that. Well, this is your son's task. This is uh, what his area yeah. will be tasked with doing. We, we, yeah, he, he's looking at that. And then the whole P3 thing, is, the P3 thing mm-hmm. a, a athletic development and the injury prevention so his masters, his masters will be in sports management. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida State's got a great program. Yep. But he he would love to get a bachelor's degree as well. We just talked about it today, actually, in athletic performance, which for them is is exercise physiology as a bachelor's degree. And then you know because and I would if I had could do it again, I would do that. I would not have gotten a degree in psychology. I would have got a degree in exercise physiology. I'm not even sure that was available when I was in school in the '80s. But uh, I've had to figure out how to get players to run faster, jump higher, be quicker. And I have, I've, I've, I've tried to be innovative with those, with those abilities to get players to do those things at a higher level. Like for example, I've been using my step, the seven footers I've been coaching. I make them do a lot of guard drills. We do a lot of ball handling drills, to help hand eye coordination to help. The, the more you work at attacking people off the dribble offensively, you're actually working on some of the similar muscles you use to defend that stuff as well as getting their mind wrapped around moving their feet in space, which until very recently big men tended not to do very much. So um, I've had to do it, but I didn't understand the exercise physiology behind it in terms of the actual mechanics of the body. I wish I did. And so hopefully people like my son and, and his ilk will, uh, will get that down and, I, and, and kind of marry the two, the two curriculums into, into better player development. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Um, so I wanted to bounce around a couple of different things that I wanted to pick your brain on tonight. Coach Starr from All-Star Weekend mm-hmm. to the Warriors being interested in training for Victor Oladipo per Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer, uh, Blake's impact in Brooklyn. And then I really want to get your thoughts on Lloyd Pierce and Ryan Saunders and the teams they've been coaching the last few years and the situation that they were in and what uh, ultimately led to their downfall. But first, we had the All-Star game this weekend. Um it was a mess in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta, and it was um, my home area, and it uh, it was a lot, and the cease and desist, I don't think, uh, stopped a lot of what was going to end up happening uh, this weekend in Atlanta, but in your estimation, when you saw they were going to do it, you saw they were going to push ahead, even with LeBron and other stars just not wanting to do this, in the end, do you think it was worth it that the All-Star game happened last night? I mean, it's a complex answer because you're looking at a lot of different things. Uh, I'm glad they raised money for charity. There is, you know, there's a sense of continuity with playing all-star games every year. You keep in mind, I don't watch the game. I watched 90 seconds of it yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
the first 90 seconds and the last maybe 20 when I saw Dame hit the three. I saw that live. Uh-huh. I saw Curry miss and I saw Dame make his shot. Um, because the game is so absurd. Like, I can't stand watching mm-hmm. exhibitions, and this is an exhibition at the highest level. Um, yeah, so, I you know, it, it, either. I have friends who are watching Brave Spring Training, yeah. and I just, I can't do it. I can't, folk, I, I just, I can't do it. Yeah, I can watch preseason uh, uh, in basketball, but there's a purpose to it. This is not, at least they're trying in the preseason, because it, you know, for the most part, anyway. I remember the bubble, the first bubble game, uh, I had picked the Lakers in June. If there was going to indeed be a summer games, I predicted the. I wrote an article saying the Lakers are going to win the championship, and yep. so I was really intrigued when they finally started playing. What do they? What do the Lakers look like? And I was very happy to see in Game One of the preseason bubble, when you would not expect LeBron James and Anthony Davis to compete uh, hard. I mean, LeBron was. I think. I think they were trying to post up Boban, and he was denying <laughs> him like crazy. They finally threw him the ball. He ended up fouling him, and he was so upset. And I called my partner, Henry Abbott. I said, I think we'll be okay with my prediction because, man, these guys, they're, they're not wasting time. They are locked in. Meanwhile, Lou Williams was going to his, his you know, out, out at night in Atlanta, and uh, my Trez had COVID, and there was some – the Clippers just weren't taking all that seriously, and I just thought, okay, I, I don't think I'm wrong. I think the Lakers understand the importance of being locked in. So, I, so I do sometimes watch exhibitions, but not these kinds of exhibitions. Yeah. But, but still, people, the fans seem to like it. I do think that it, it's going to come at a cost, and and the cost is these guys are already kind of tired. Like, there's a reason why LeBron rested his last game in LA, barely played last night, from what I understand. Like, th- this schedule is fast and furious, and uh, and there's the stress of not getting sick. Um, and, and not being exposed to it, which is, I, I'm dealing with my son. The last thing he would want to do is expose his teammates to the virus, right? And potentially lose the rest of the season. There's a lot of stress to that. These players are going through the same thing. And, and I think that instead of, we should have given them a week to just recharge. I know what they yeah. were thinking. And they were thinking that we're afraid that the more they go home, the more exposure they're going to have to the virus. I get that. But I'm worried that it's going to come at a cost later on in terms of how they play in the in the postseason. Um, did you have your own all-star list, and did you find any snubs from what came out? And this is obviously, like we know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were not able to play for protocol reasons, and so he had to pull out for injury issues. But did you were you okay with the list, not the game itself, but what who the starters were and who were the all-stars? Did you actually? see anything where you're like, mm, this guy should have been in, this person should not have? So I would tell you that I could not tell you 10 players. I probably, I probably could name most of the players who made it, but I've never once looked at the list. <laughs> uh, I'm not totally sure who, who all the players were. There was only one player that I thought deserved to make it that I knew didn't uh, because I happened to watch their last game against the Sixers. It was the Jazz. And metrically speaking, Mike Conley had a phenomenal first half. One of the, he's one of the best players in the NBA right now, this year, and I thought he should have made it. I understand why he didn't, and he missed he missed something seven of the last nine games. It probably didn't help either, but um, but he made it. He played in the game. I don't know how he played. I have no idea, but um, he made it. Other than that, I honestly I, don't, I just don't pay attention. Uh, so no no idea. I, now I know that you're going to ask me who maybe might make it next year that didn't make it yeah. this year, and so. When we get to that point of this conversation, I we say can do names, that now. you might have to... We can do that now, okay, Coach So you might tell me, oh, Coach, you already made it, because I really don't know if they made it. I, I know some of them. Okay. Like, I know I know Christian Wood didn't make it. No. But he's good. Like, it, it, it's certainly possible that he makes the team next year. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Drew Holiday didn't make it. But if the Milwaukee Bucks make it to the finals this year, uh, Drew Holiday's had a tremendous season. Uh, the team is probably better than what their record is. So, you know, he's a guy. Did Fred Van Vliet make it this year? Uh, he did not. So he's another one that is a terrific player that's right there with Zach Levine in terms of him, the, on the metric aspect of it, obviously scoring. And, and if they move Kyle Lowry, if Kyle Lowry just isn't there next year for whatever reason, you know, he puts up 20-plus points a game. I could see him. Uh, Jared Allen is an interesting guy that uh, if Cleveland – Gets even be decent next year, he's going to have a big a big say in that, I think. And and if he were to make it, it wouldn't surprise me either. Interesting. Not Trey Young on that list. 
Uh, not no. Oh, I was oh, hold on. Literally, I'm thinking about Trey Young and DeAndre Hunter, both of them. Did Trey yeah. Young not make it this year? No, Trey Young was not. Oh wow. Yeah, I, and DeAndre. Had no was, idea. DeAndre Hunter is like the his season. I don't know how much of him you were watching before he got injured, but this I, I was going to tie into the Lloyd Pierce conundrum. Yeah, because I yeah. think those two go hand in hand, and that was not talked about nearly enough because I don't think it happens if DeAndre Hunter doesn't go down. Like he just was at another level, and that's he played him. 18 games. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Chase. He played 18 games, uh, and again, I, who knows what happens next year, but. If he continues the same trend in Atlanta, remember Atlanta only had him for 18 games. Yeah. So here's here's the and we'll get to Lloyd Pierce at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, by the way, Jamal Murray did he make the game? Uh, I don't think so. No. So he's another guy that can make it. He, he's a, you know obviously he's a very good player that and you know looking at, at teams that are going to be successful for a while. You know Jokic being the you know one of the probably the MVP right now. He won't get it, but he probably deserves it by far. He's had the best season. Um, Who do you think is the MVP right now? Who's your gut telling you? If it's not Jokic, I mean, yeah, I'm also not a guy that ever looked at any of those things, but I, I mean, I pay attention to who's playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, Joel Embiid. I, before the season, I, I'm not great at predicting any of these things, but I wrote an article where I, I made, I said he's, you know, he's the dark horse guy. I think Luca to win it. I didn't expect that the team to start as badly as they did. And I thought Luke would have a phenomenal year statistically, and he is. But um, I thought Embiid was the sneaky choice because of the way they're going to play. And I thought Doc would really appeal to him, and 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 he's just a different voice than Brett Brown. So I thought Embiid would be phenomenal. He he has been. I mean, there's no there's no doubt that he's going to be right there. But Lloyd Pierce didn't have Bogdanovich, which they thought they would have. DeAndre only played 18 games. Uh, I'm not blaming Lloyd Pierce for Gallinari falling off a cliff. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. And yet, uh, you know, they've been, if you look at their, not not at their, um, don't look at, at their wins and losses. If you look at their expected, you know, net, what you would think they'd be based on their their net uh, score and net margins. They're yeah. top fifteen elite. They're top fifteen elite with all those injuries and Trey Young's in what year three. Um, I I just feel like that with the Hawks, I thought Lloyd was establishing a culture and a, a, an ethic um, and a, and a connection that I personally think they were going to be a very formidable program for the foreseeable future. And now, to me, it's a fire sale. I wouldn't trust them one bit. I don't have any trust in that organization right now to fire Lloyd Pierce. Yeah, I... The culture part of it's interesting, because I'll ask you about that, because that seems like that was part of it, too. Um, The Warriors, though, they might be interested in acquiring Vitrility, but there's been some people and some rumblings of just, like, are we wasting this all-time great Steph season? We don't know how many more of these we have left. Part of that is not the Warriors' fault. It's actually mostly not their fault that they had to scramble and trade for Kelly Oubre because Clay Thompson went down with a fluke injury before the season got started. So they know enough time to recalibrate. And they also kept their pick, though. And rookies, as you know, Coach Thorpe, they don't play winning basketball yet. Like, it takes some time. And it's hard to acclimate them to the way Steph right. and Draymond and these guys are playing together. Like, James Wiseman going in and out of the starting lineup should be expected that it's just going to take some time for him to get to where the Warriors want him to be. And by the time he gets there... The question is, what are Draymond, Clay, and Steph like? Are they still cornerstones? What what are they? Um, and that was the conundrum that Bob Myers was facing in Golden State is the timeline question. But um, Victor Oladipo is someone who's on their timeline, someone who uh, could theoretically help. But when you think of what you've seen for Victor Oladipo this year, you think about his mindset and him turning down Houston's two-year extension, which I thought was kind of surprising is that he still sees himself as a franchise piece and he just wants to be treated like a franchise piece and the Pacers were like, we're not sure with the injury stuff and that we can win anything with you as the number one guy, so we move on. Um, I think it's fascinating and I I guess maybe the question is like, do you think um, a Clay, Victor Oladipo, Steph Curry, Draymond, Looney slash Wiseman core is still like a enough of a needle mover or do you think the 
Um, well, like, just what do you think of Victor Oladipo's game and what he does at Steve Kerr's system and the way that the Warriors have kind of transformed themselves this year into more of a pick and roll heavy scheme instead of move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. I wouldn't go near Victor Oladipo if I was the Warriors. <laughs> you've, you've got Clay coming off, you know, two injuries. Uh, Oladipo is injury prone, as we know. Yeah. And Kelly Oubre actually is playing excellent defense this year for Golden State. His offense is coming around. It started off horribly. He's definitely doing better. Uh, and uh, Andrew Wiggins is playing pretty much career best defense, and maybe mm-hmm. significantly so. Um, so I like I like those wings when you factor in Clay, and then you make a point about Weissman. Of course, you're right. You never expect a rookie to do well. He's Weissman's actually playing great defense just because he's tall and athletic and super long. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. But they've got Kevon Looney. So to me, I've always seen it as when they've got to get a more experienced player because of matchups, you know, play Looney. Um, and ultimately, Looney becomes a terrific backup to Weissman, you know, at some point next year. This year is a lost year. If they can make the playoffs, it's great. Um, uh, they, they, I, I don't think – there's no deal they can make that makes them a Final Four, yeah. uh, even in the West, likely. It's possible. But not – I mean, they could pull an upset because they have Curry. Um, I think it'd be a huge mistake, and uh, I don't see it happening. And, and I think your point's good too. You know, if they're going to make a deal, it's going to have to be for someone they know only enhances their culture and, and doesn't distract from it. Yeah, I don't. I don't like the fit. That seems more of like the agents are throwing out out there. Like, hey, even the Warriors so, are. Yeah, right. That's that's normally the case. So normally, there are exceptions, but normally when you read about something like this. It's an agent pushing it for his own agenda. Mm-hmm. And I know this because I've been called from agents many, many times <laughs> to do these exact same things. I never break news anyway, so I mm-hmm. never do it. But they want me to tell someone else. Um, because teams don't announce this kind of stuff. I, I, it's just the opposite. Teams do everything they can to keep it all silent. That's why you so rarely see a trade happen as the rumors have it. Because the teams aren't announcing this. I, I've had situations where... Uh, I've known because a player of mine was involved that a trade was about to happen, and they've said if this leaks out, it's going to be canceled. And sure enough, one time a trade was. It was saved at the last second, but the the owner, the owner or the GM maybe just panicked at the idea that we're sleeping out about this. And and I've had a pretty high level reporter. He had he got lied to by a friend of mine that was an executive. And the reporter got really mad, but the, the executive said, you don't understand, if you report this from you hearing it from an agent, um, the deal's going to get scuttled because the person I'm doing a deal with won't do it. We had to be totally radio silent, and if you report this, and sure enough, he didn't report it, and the trade happened. And the reporter got super mad at the executive to do with the GM, his president of the team. But the president called me and was explaining, like, hey, I, I, had, to, I had to get the deal done before I you know, make sure this reporter, you know, it, it breaks the story. That's not his job. That's not my job. And my owner was going to get pissed if I didn't do this deal. And our our partners were going to back out. Like, this shit happens. That's exactly what happens. So um, normally when you read about these things, it's just put in the paper by the agent. And, uh, and I doubt that there's a lot of truth to it. Doesn't mean It doesn't mean it wasn't a conversation, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Warriors to do this. In fact, it makes almost no sense at all. I don't think anything that Victor Depot's done as of late is making sense. Like his whole trajectory over the last two years, going from going toe to toe with LeBron in round one in that series where the Pacers almost beat him and Victor Depot yeah. went off and his Puget threes. Like I miss that. Like Victor Depot's Puget threes were some of my favorite things in basketball for a little bit <laughs> where he's just so fast and he was getting up to the court. Like he was just gliding the way he runs. He's just a different kind of player. And I just don't know why he wouldn't just sign the two-year extension with Houston and then re-enter free agency at 30 if you play really well. Because Steven Silas has done a really good job, I think, with Houston and with this group and the hand he was dealt. And he was playing really well with John Wall and Christian Wood. Like, why not just do that for a year or two? I, I don't understand well, his thinking at all. So, but the, answer, but the answer could be that they think they have something better coming no matter what. Yeah. I mean, the, the agents do. screw up all the time. Yeah, agents screw up all the time, but not every time. Like, there's... They're, human. they're not betting a thousand. They're not betting zero, and so they must feel like they've got something better than that. Uh, and I, if they're just hoping, then it could be a terrible mistake. But 
my guess is that they have a pretty good idea. It doesn't mean they'll know for sure, but they're, cause they're sometimes you bet on yourself. Yeah. So they're rolling the dice that um, he's going to have something better. That's all. Interesting. Um, Blake Griffin is now a Brooklyn net. Um, he, so <laughs> having watched a lot of Blake Griffin in the last two years and just what he was that, I guess this has almost been two and a half years now when point four Blake in Detroit, which was really fun. Um, the injuries have limited to him. He is just not, not the same guy. And it's unlikely he will ever return to that form. Um, one of the most exciting players of my twenties to watch. I've a big Blake Griffin fan. Um, but the shooting's fallen off a cliff. He's not a good defender. We are worried about his pick and drop status, like what he can do on that front. The Nets already are historically great top 10 offense of all time. I don't, I never really understood this when he was a first rumored as like the, the missing piece for the Nets and that his preferred destination was Brooklyn. And I understand the title chasing aspect of it for him, but I looked at Boston I looked at other teams around the league where I'm like, that actually makes a lot more sense. And his role would be increased. And I don't think he'd be competing for a title this year in Boston, but I don't know. I just thought that that made more sense to me because Boston's just really trying to figure it out with Thompson and Tice and uh, Robert Williams and what the right grouping is there. But I don't know. I don't think he really moves the needle. And I guess maybe he doesn't move the needle anywhere based on what he is, but I'm not sure what Blake does well anymore like he's always been a great passer and I guess that will help and he'll get significantly better looks in Brooklyn than he got in Detroit over the last two years but they are playing fine with uh Jeff Green at the five and they're playing fine with their their group their offense is not a problem so I was just looking at it as like they need more of like a Dwayne Dedman or a buyout from like a JaVale McGee or something um if DeMarcus Cousins wasn't cooked then I would say he was a better fit but I just I don't really understand the basketball fit and what the upside is for Brooklyn other than here's another guy that people know and will want to watch and hey 12 minutes of Blake doing some cool stuff every now and then I guess is not a problem. What do you think, coach? Do you know what dunks Blake Griffin has since 2019 season? This is going to depress me. Zero. Oh no, is that true? Yeah, I don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um I mean, I, that's a pretty 98% sure the answer is zero. So what cool stuff is he going to do? You're right. Yeah. He, they, they, you know, when you say offense isn't a problem, no, their offense is amazing. Like, it's not just not a problem. It's fantastic. So think about the postseason, right? Think about exactly what happens in postseason games and matchups, okay? You've got uh, a team that right now is the best offense in basketball, significantly so. It's competing to have maybe one of the best offenses, if not the best offense of all time. Uh, they are, as we sit, 27th in defense. I haven't looked what they've done at the last 10, 15 games, but they're they're 37 games in, and they're the you know the, the uh, fourth worst defense in the league. So think about postseason matchup. I think part scoring, of that is Durant not being around a lot. I think Dur- oh, that, for that sure. goes down a lot with Durant. Yeah, yeah, they'll be better with Durant. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, although don't don't I don't think he's going to make a huge difference. He's not the player. Well, they just he need was. to get the league average, not even league average, just like nineteenth or something. They, if they're going to be this yeah. historically good, they just need to get that nineteen twenty range. Except, except here's the one thing: is when you look at postseason matchups, mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be a team that's that's doing a pretty good job defending them and and scoring, attacking at certain matchups, and uh, they're not they're not going to be able to solve it, and they're going to want to go to their bench to try a different rotation, and I just don't think they're going to, they're going to pick Blake. I don't think so either. I just don't think they're going to pick Blake, and so it, it's a head-scratcher for sure. Um, they Now, I think what they're doing is they're, they're buying depth for that offense. They're saying, okay, if we, if we have an injury in the front court, we know we can play Blake, and he won't screw things up. So he'll understand how to play. He'll understand his role. We've studied that. These are not dumb guys running the Brooklyn Nets. They're They've studied what he's done, and they're going to feel like, okay, he's not going to get in the way of Kyrie and Kevin and James. And that's what I think their thinking is. But I do – I mean, and they have other options. They, they're, we're not ready for the playoffs yet. They've got time to try to figure out – and I personally think it'll be a G League guy or two. Like, the, you know, watching these there's, – there's a number of G League players, 25 and up, who are absolute professionals, very good players that can play multiple positions on both sides that, for whatever reason – just haven't been, you know, grabbed by an NBA team for mostly because NBA teams make mistakes like this all the time, and uh, and so they're gonna if they're smart they're gonna grab one of them, and then that guy will end up playing probably before Blake. But at least they know 
if they need a real veteran guy that understands how to play and not get in the guy's way, you know, certainly Blake's that guy. And that's what you, for a bio guy, that's about all you can ask for. Yeah, I just would have rather them gone with like a, an Orlando guy. Like one of the many bigs on Orlando that I kind of like that I would like to see in a different situation. Like Birch or who gets DMP CDs. But how are they going to get him? I yeah. love Ken Birch, but how are they going to get him? I don't know, man. I just want him out yeah, of Orlando. Just, He's getting DMP CDs sometimes. I don't understand. Like, I know. He's good. Yeah. He's good. I don't get it. Um, let's get into the coaching stuff as we wrap up here, Coach Thorpe. Um, Ryan Saunders was let go first in Minnesota. I unfortunately watched an entire Minnesota-Atlanta game a few weeks back um, before both coaches were dismissed, and it was it was ugly. It was it was rough. And I I sent out a tweet. I don't even know if this was a tweet, but like I was wondering. I wrote down in my notepads because I'm I don't know if you're like this, but I'm jotting notes down and seeing what I'm saying. And D'Angelo Russell was like borderline unplayable as an NBA player at this point. Like when I'm watching, I'm like, what? He is just killing this team on both ends, and I just I don't get the D'Angelo Russell thing. And I think there's a disconnect between like the bucket getters and like ha- kind of speaking to what you said at the top of the show. It's just like, does he play winning basketball? And he's just like someone I, I am not a D'Angelo Russell guy at all. Um, but now that both coaches have been let go, what did you see from them this year that would have given you pause to releasing them from their contracts? What What did they do well? And also, what do you think ultimately led to their demise? And do you think it was justified on both instances? I mean, Minnesota was the worst team in the league. Yeah. So um, I, I've been following that franchise a long time. Uh, he seems like a terrific young man, and obviously yeah. dealt with a terrible tragedy. That has nothing to do with whether or not he's a good basketball coach. And, uh, he, it, and by the way, he's not a very good coach right now. It doesn't mean he won't be a fantastic yeah. coach later. These are great reference points for him. Um, and so I get it. Uh, that, 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 that franchise is the best. They're, they're, they're the closest thing to Sacramento Kings. They just, they just can't get out of their own way. They really can't. Um, and what's interesting is Russell, a year ago, was an elite offensive player for Golden State. Elite. And um, terrible, terrible, terrible defensively. Terrible. Bottom 5% of the league defensively last year. Um, obviously playing on, in both teams. Um, and, uh, and yet, for this year, he, he came down on offense and got a little better on defense, but, but still wasn't the, the, you know, the all-star level that people thought he might he might get to. Um, and so you can't just blame Saunders for that. The bottom line is the team was underperforming hugely. Atlanta, I feel, is different. Atlanta, uh, I, I'm going to go back and look. I had the Hawks. I'm trying to see what I, my record for them was. I thought they'd be 14 and 23 um, at the break. Hmm. And this is before 14, the season. Yeah, I did. I predicted every team's record before the season, and I published it. And I had them at 14 and 23. So, I don't know what the hell they're, they're thinking was a disappointment. They made the announcement that playoffs are bust. I don't know why. I didn't see it. I still saw a, a, a team fraught with holes, and, you know, you're hoping DeAndre gets better. He did. Uh, Bagdanovich was still, you're betting on the come. You don't know for sure what you're getting. Uh, it turns out nothing because he got hurt. Gallinari came off an absolute monster season, one of the most underrated players if not the most underrated NBA player last year was Danilo Gallinari. He was fantastic until um, uh, the very, very end. Uh, and he's been terrible this year. So uh, I, I thought that you they were playing, like I said, it, I had them at 14-23, and 23, and they uh, ended up being 14th in net margin. So uh, I thought they'd be worse than that. So to me, I thought they were building something. And based on... So, so it's not because Lloyd Pierce isn't white that I'm so high on him. It's because he's a man of integrity and, and culture and, and is an old-school coach, and I mean that in a good way. He's not afraid of demand things from his players. And you, Jeremy Grant said this publicly. Jeremy Grant said that he wanted to play for a black man. And, by the way, Jeremy Grant was my favorite player in the league before this year. As I've said many times, written about many times, um, Lloyd Pierce, it, he, Lloyd Pierce helped get a president get elected. You realize that, right? He was the one that pushed yeah. in Atlanta, using, in my hometown, oh, right? Yeah, like literally right. down the of street course, from where I was living, living the last five right. years. <laughs> so, so in today's world, where the and I, I love this, where our players, as a father of my son is old enough to be in the NBA, I, I, I parent two two teenagers of that age, right? Where we want them to wake up and recognize what's happening in their country, their world, 
not just locally, but, but domestically around the country and globally, you have a leader of men running your team that dealt with some pretty devastating injuries and a, a, a very, very highly rated player that was playing terribly. And honestly, it'd be unfair for me to say that I know why Gallinari was playing badly. It actually could be something Lloyd was doing in part. For him to drop off the way he did, it's not just any one thing, probably, unless there's an injury we don't know about, because that could definitely explain it. But that's fixable. There's a way you could start making some adjustments to get him more comfortable. It's not like, you know, Billy Donovan's a great coach, but, you know, he isn't a genius that way. Um, they did something that worked, and having Chris Paul play well and all that was fine. But I just felt like, and this is, I've been doing this a long time, when you have a coach like that that you respect as a man, and whose team is playing about as you expect them to play, even with those injuries, you're building something. You don't even necessarily realize it. Uh, uh, Pop, Popovich said this. Like you, basically, what Pop was saying is, Atlanta, you just let go a guy that should have been coaching your team for 30 years. Like That guy is special. I wrote this uh, two years ago about Nick Nurse, and I don't remember what round of the playoffs it was. But you could see it. He had reached a level where I wrote this. He's, he is there, Greg Popovich, in, in Toronto. Like, he needs to have four straight terrible years before you let, them, let him go because you can see his ability to adjust and, on the fly and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that Lloyd Pierce deserves that. I'm not saying that. Uh, but I'll tell you this. Dwayne Casey deserves credit for building the foundation that he did in Toronto. Now, maybe, and in fact, I, I'm friends with Dwayne, but I would argue that I understand why Masai, that Masai made the right decision. That there, was a, there was something hap- not happening in the postseason, and the Raptors had earned the, the privilege of thinking that they could make one more adjustment at the top, and the foundation was already so strong that that little change was, was going to get them into the potential to win the finals. And, of course, that happened now. Kawhi made a big difference. I'm not saying Dwayne Casey couldn't have won without Kawhi Leonard, that's for sure. I don't know. But clearly something was missing. But to ignore what Dwayne did is to be foolish. He, he, he had the Raptors defending at a high level. He had their, there was a professionalism about what they were doing that they had not had in forever. And I feel like Atlanta was trending there. Remember, Trey Young is so limited defensively. Yeah. You know. Oh, oh and so, yes. I am familiar with Trey Young's uh, yeah, defensive limitations. It, yes. Right. Uh, I have to be careful about him because he's my son's favorite player. Is and he really? Not, he's, yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're 17 and Trey Young is, you know, 20 or whatever, uh-huh. uh, yeah, you're not, and, and you like to shoot threes and play point guard, yeah. He's my uh, least my favorite hawk. He's my least favorite hawk. I get it. He, it he's he a little Jay Cardinish. Yeah, he's, 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 a, you know, he's not easy to embrace that way, but, but this is my point. So, mm-hmm. so you're asking Lloyd Pierce to, to take over a, a franchise and build a franchise whose most famous and, and talented player, and you know, a top three pick, has some real deficiencies that are very hard to mask. And to when he's at his best offensively, it's stylistically challenging, to say the least, right? Dribble, 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 30-foot shots, but you can't, you can't red light him. Yeah. You've got to build your system around that green-lighted player, and it's, just, it's going to take a while, especially with the changes they made. And, and Kyle is just coming back this year, and he's, he's playing fine. Um, I think – so, so there's not many elite coaches. Let's, let's be fair. And I am not telling you that Lloyd Pierce was, it was an elite coach or, or, or that he will be, although I think there's certainly – I think you have the chance to be. What I am telling you is unless you knew who you were bringing in and that, that, that guy definitely is an elite coach, it's a huge mistake to then press the reset button because you had a man that was going to build an integrity. And I don't mean a character integrity. I mean a, a physical integrity to the way they went about their business that was starting to take root because I'm telling you previous Hawks teams with, with the injuries that they had wouldn't be 14 and, and 20, you know, they would be, they would be 10 and, and, um, and 24, you know, they would be, they would just not be as good. It seems and like they were I think, acquiescing to, your son's favorite player. And I don't think it was a coincidence that he seemed rather jovial after the departure. And also just the curse Kirshner articles in the athletic, uh, outlining what was going on behind the scenes that I think part of it too was development. Um, Cam Reddish 
has just been it's so hard to get a feel of what he's going to be but also we don't give lloyd credit for deandre hunter like deandre hunter being this good this year i i don't I don't know why that's been overlooked as a huge win for this organization because I was pretty low on trading up for Hunter and I was pretty low on what he could be offensively coming out of Virginia. And I was like, okay, you don't trade up for Harrison Barnes. You just don't do that. And especially in the lottery like that, that's just something you don't do. And he is dribbling and he's shooting threes at a high clip. He's shooting off the dribble at a high clip. And you're like, okay, this is a completely different player because he was already going to be just an elite on ball defender. Um, but also they lost him. They lost Chris Dunn. Um, and they lost, um, Cam Reddish for stretches. Like those are their three best on ball defenders and their defense was terrible without them. And that's not his fault. He didn't sign Chris Dunn. He didn't, uh, get these guys injured. He also didn't, um, spend a bunch of money on, um, Danilo Gonari. He did not add a push for a trade to have to figure out how to play John Collins and Clint Capella in crunch time like he didn't ask that like that's a really hard thing for a modern NBA coach to facilitate is John Collins in a contract year restricted free agent he wants to get paid and he's clearly going to play hardball with the Hawks this summer that's a tough thing I think he was in a very difficult situation all across the board with different personalities and different expectations and a lot of pressure and that comes with the territory they're well compensated for that but I do think this was something where I don't think it was the the on the court stuff i really don't and people cite the late game situations and like the the cavaliers loss was ugly like that was inexcusable i don't know if you remember the way the hawks lost yeah, that game yeah, and that yeah that's one of those where it's like you just can't do that like when you're fighting for your job like you can't lose in that kind of way it just looks bad even if it's not your fault it, it just looks horrible so i don't know man it i would not be surprised if he's great in his next job i wouldn't at all but it does seem like Travis Schlink is not getting nearly enough heat that Lloyd Pierce took the fall for here. And I'm curious right. to see the Hawks don't make the playoffs if he's around, because I, I don't, I don't, I put more blame on what Schlink has done than uh, what uh, sure. Lloyd Pierce Listen, did. There's no, there's no, there's no question of that. So, so let's talk about Trey Young for a second here. Uh, uh, here's why he didn't like Lloyd Pierce in year one of his career. He ranked in the first percentile in defense in the NBA, which means 99% of the league was better defense than him. Okay? And then he ranked 91st on offense. No surprise. Amazing offensive player. Mm. Last year, obviously, you know, not much of a year, 60, 60 games total, he was the 99th percentile on offense. So clearly killing in an offense. And he improved to fourth, I'm sorry, third percentile on defense. I'm looking at DuncanThrees.com, which is probably the best stat place you can find now for this kind of stuff. So, it's almost an accidental improvement. Like you can't really say there's market improvement uh, uh, in 60 games when you go from the first to the third percentile. Uh, and um, I'm sure Trey had a great time playing no <laughs> defense a year ago and, and playing whatever he wants in offense and working. This year he's dropped only the 97th percentile in offense. So he's still clearly one of the elite players in the world in offense, and he's risen to basically the 20th percentile of defense. So he went from one to three to 20. And you, there's only one way to do that, and that's work. Like, that, I, I don't mean work in offseason. I mean in-game, paying attention. Like, he still sucks at it, but he doesn't suck like he used to. He's passable. Like, he's, he's probably better than Curry in those rankings and James Harden. Like, you know, these, these mega offensive players, they do have to rest on defense. Them. They do have to pick their spots. It's just the nature of the beast. And you don't want them ever getting in foul trouble, for sure. Uh, but he was being held accountable for defense, and I don't, I don't think he liked it. I'm only guessing this. I've never seen it. Yeah. I'm just looking at these numbers. It, 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 I've, I've been around a long time. Uh, and so if he thinks he's going to get it off somewhere else and, and be back to being 99% on offense and play no D and think he's going to win games, well, good luck with that. But here's what I think about Lloyd Pierce. Uh, I used to pay attention to the NFL. And my, dad, my parents had season tickets starting when I was 11 years old in 1976, which was the first year the Buccaneers played. And then as my mom got smart and realized, what am I doing? Watch this stupid game. <laughs> I started going. And so I would, I would, I came up from college years later in 87. And my dad and I spent our Sunday date, Sundays a year and probably two or three preseason games a year going to Buccaneer home games. And we did it actually until my kids were like four. And I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this. Like the biggest waste of time I've ever done. I've only been on a golf course in this place. Um, but I was able to see some pretty good runs, including uh, Tony Dungy taking the team to the NFC championship game. 
And then he got fired when the team just couldn't score. We were a great defense, but we couldn't score. And there was a pretty famous video in Tampa where our local, like, Spectrum station called Bay News 9 covered him loading up his car, and it wasn't a fancy car, from the, from the Buccaneer offices uh, uh, in the rain. And they were like, oh, this poor man, the Buccaneers treated him so poorly. And I literally said this because I used to be on radio a lot and stuff down here. I said, he's going to be just fine. Like, this guy made us into a, a national power through defense. Uh, we never had questions about the character of the team. Uh, it was a very respected organization that just was offensively challenged, but we were still competing week in, week out because of our amazing defense. And someone's going to hire him, bring a better offensive quarterback in, a better offensive coordinator maybe, and, of course, and pay him a ton of money. And that's exactly what happened in Indianapolis. And that's just what I think about Lloyd Pierce. If I was the Raptors, who just lost Chris Finch, I would hire him immediately. And they haven't, obviously. And maybe Lloyd, did, or maybe they tried and Lloyd said no. Who knows what he'll do, because he'll still get paid. But someone should bring him in and either make him the top assistant uh, or uh, bring him to be the head coach. Uh, it should like Minnesota hire Chris Finch, but I would have gone after Lloyd right away. He wasn't free, I don't think. But um, a, a, a terrible, if a Sacramento Kings would be very wise to yeah. fire Luke Walton if they're going to fire him and hire Lloyd Pierce and just say, Lloyd, we will never get in your way. Coach our guys up. Teach them how to be professional. It's not teach them. Demand. It's not his job to teach them how to be professional, although a franchise could help with that. Demand of them to be professional. Let them follow your image. Let them take on your personality. This brave man who, I mean, come on, the owner of the Hawks is a big benefactor to local police unions. Like you, you, ha- you have to, if you're reading true hoop, we write about this kind of stuff. Like owners are, are diametrically opposed sometimes in terms of their political nations, donations to what the players want. Like we have this deal going on right now as we speak. And so this man, Lloyd Pierce is no dummy. He's a very smart man. When he did what he did, he realized he's putting his job at risk in order to get help people vote period. End of story. And he, and he lost his job and you could argue he deserved to get, lose his job because the team was so bad, I argue, that you could have had Greg Popovich there and they wouldn't be any better. That team was still very flawed and young, and they're coming off you know, a long stretch of tough times. It takes a while to build. So if I'm the Kings, I bring him in, and I know De'Aaron Fox is going to get better with him, and Marvin Bagley's either going to put up or, or, or we're going to trade him, he'll be in good hands because that, that's, a, that's a sinking ship right now, and I thought the Hawks were beginning to steady. You don't go from bad to great right away. It takes time. And I, I, I think a franchise would be very smart to hire Lloyd Pierce and, and just get out of the way and let him do his thing. Absolutely. Well, we'll end it there, Coach. Um, how do we support your work on TrueHoop.com? So, yeah, so, um, well, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, at Coach Thorpe, and normally we're always retweeting whatever the, the articles that we do. If you go to TrueHoop.com, it's TrueHoop, TrueHoop.com, one word. And, uh, and subscribe, and you get, yeah, Tom Habistro is writing for us. Um, I, Tom does stuff on court and off. Everything I do is almost entirely on court, except for the pandemic break when I had to write other things. And Henry Abbott covers, I mean, right now he's writing this series regarding like Jeffrey Epstein and, and money laundering and, and all sorts of things, and it ties to the NBA. It's really riveting stuff, and today's world, I think we should know that kind of stuff. But he also writes about basketball stuff, too, of course. And then we do a show Monday, Wednesday, Friday, live at 11 for our subscribers. It's a three-day-a-week podcast that's on YouTube later in the day. Uh, that We have guests. We, we had Lloyd Pierce on as a guest. We had Sam Van Gundy. We had Brad Stevens. We've had all sorts of coaches and executives and players and virus science writers and everything else. And then if you follow me on Twitter, too, you'll, you, if you're interested, if your child plays uh, or if you're a, a, a younger player and you're a serious basketball player, our app at the ProTrainingCenter.com is going to be available soon. Uh, we're doing beta testing now, and basically it's like tr- you're training with me as if you're a pro, but you never have to come to Clearwater. You know, we, we help you where you are. We, we're in touch with you via uh, email and, and phone as well as our app, which gives you our workouts and my voice walking you through exactly what I do with my pro players. Awesome. Well, keep up the great work, sir. Stay safe out there. Um, don't forget, folks, check out TrueHoop.com. Subscribe today if you have not already. Go get 
uh, Basketball is Jazz, the book. I don't think you mentioned it, Coach. Uh, yeah, it's on, uh, yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, it's still selling. Basketball is Jazz is a book I wrote back in uh, uh, 2017, uh, but it's evergreen. It's just about my story and, and, and basketball and lessons about the game. It's on Amazon, Basketball Jazz. Yeah, thank you for mentioning it. Absolutely, absolutely. And go check out ChaseOnsPodcast.com and leave us a, if you like listening to Coach Thorpe and I today, go leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Coach, thank you so much. I appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, stay safe out there and uh, hopefully things work out for your son in the ACC tournament. I have no skin in the yeah. game. I'm a, I'm a UT guy, so I, I can root for <laughs> Florida State. I have a lot of Florida State alum yeah. family members, so... All the best. Thank you, sir. Thank you. uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Dan. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.